Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music, and I love those that create it. Strikers here. Tuna on toast. Yes. Yeah, welcome to another episode of Tuna on Toast. It is Ted Stryker, the one and only Brent Smith from Shine Down, is going to join us in just a second. If it's your first time here, welcome to the Tuna on Toast community. It is super strong. If you come back quite often, I appreciate you very much. A friendly reminder, past guests, the Tuna on Toast library is amazing. And just about every episode is also available on my YouTube channel, Tuna on Toast with Stryker. Tom Morello from Rage, Mike Shinoda, M. Shadows, AFI, Incubus, my buddy Mark McGrath, Matt Skiba from Alkaline Trio was just on. Also, one of my favorite episodes is Brett Gerwitz. If you want Music Education 101, that's the episode to check out. It is like the history of punk rock and SoCal. He owns Epitaph Records, and of course, Brett Gerwitz is from the band bad religion now let's get to a brent not a brent and i'm talking about brent smith from shinedown this dude is a professional who's got this energy that is so infectious and three of the greatest qualities you can ever find in a human brent smith has these qualities he's got charisma he's got talent He's got drive. And I'm going to add one more quality. The dude is self-aware. I like him very much. You know, we've been DMing on Instagram for a while, and I'm so happy that it finally came to fruition. Shinedown, 18 number ones, seven full-length albums. Were you there day one, 2003? That's the debut album. What about 2022 Planet Zero? Are you blasting a symptom of being human, a song that's going up the charts? Let's get to it. Without any further ado, and by the way, we cover a lot of ground in this podcast, so sit back. Hopefully, you're going for a workout or a long drive or you're cleaning up your place. Enjoy. Hunker down. Here he is, the front man from Shinedown, my new buddy, Brent Smith. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Perfect, perfect, perfect. I'm going to hit record on the video. This is a one-man operation making all this racket on this podcast. Here we go. Record you know on. what, though, man? Like, the, the more people... Recording in progress. It's all you, man. Just let it ride. Sometimes a bunch of other people just confuses it. You're 100% correct. I want to get to something straight away. We're sitting here. It's January 5th, five days away from your birthday. Happy birthday in five days from now. You Thank just you. you just posted about the title track from your second album, The Sound of Madness. What in the world is going on with the song right now? So it's the third album, The Sound of Madness. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Song... Leave a whisper, us and them, Sound of Madness, yes. No, no, it's all good, my man. It's been a minute since uh, since we saw each other, but not really, because right. we just saw each other. There is this incredible... We have a fan base that truly does reach 8 to 80, and anyone from anywhere at any time is welcomed all the time in the world of Shinedown all across the world. And there is this incredible uh, young lady, her name is Lori, who, uh, and I, I say young because it's all in her spirit, like age is truly just a number with, with her. And she has been a fan forever. And something about what we do just really, uh, she just loves the music. And anytime that she ever comes to a show, She's the oldest person in the room, and she rocks harder than everybody. It's astonishing, and it's just amazing. And so our videographer, uh, Sanjay, 
uh, earlier in the year of last, well, back half of last year, because we're just starting 2024, uh, right when we were getting ready to do the Papa Roach and the Spirit Box tour, we were probably like four or five shows in, and Lori is her name, and uh, she was there, and I always go out and uh, try to greet the fans in the line before they open the doors and what have you, and I saw her and what have you, and if she's around, Sanjay always makes sure he locks on her, and he just captured a moment, man. And uh, I think that it just, that's the wonderful thing about if you can actually go viral, people see the realism and the authenticity in that. That's what makes social media really rad because when it hits and it's real, uh, it impacts a lot of people. And, you know, she's just an incredible individual, but really what happened is I think Sanjay just caught a moment and people caught on to it and it's just kind of breathed new life uh, into the sound of madness, but not only that, like in the last 48 hours, it's been in the top 10 on iTunes, the sound of madness. We have our current single, a symptom of being human, climbing the chart even more now on iTunes and a bunch of other streaming services and what have you. Uh, yeah, it's pretty wild. Congratulations on all of that. What does it do for you mentally? Where does it take you? If I just mention the sound of madness, what do you think about Back in two thousand seven, eight, nine. Do or die, fight or flight. Mm. Um, you know, the, professionally the band or personally, going, just in general. Um, you know, listen. You know, we we have a very unique story that's still unfolding. You know, we're lucky enough. Uh, Twenty years in the game and in the industry. And a lot of times, people will think about. You know, you've been here for twenty years. You're consistently. Uh, we're trying at all times to evolve. But we have an incredible fan base. Again, going back to them, they've always allowed us to be ourselves. They've given us a platform. We try not to write the same record over and over again and do our best to not write the same song twice. But during that era of what would become the album cycle for The Sound of Madness and then the touring cycle, an interesting thing about that touring cycle for that album, man, we toured that record for 36 months. Wow and went all over the world. But when we were writing that record, there were some original members from the first two albums that we had to part ways with. And there were a lot of people, man, that just were, some of them were concerned. Uh, we kept everything really tight to the chest when we were recording what would become The Sound of Madness. Like we weren't out a lot. People couldn't, they didn't really know what was going on, who we were working with. Obviously we were working with the legendary Rob Cavallo. Um, for that album, very first time. And I remember, uh, and really the fifth member of the band in the studio, uh, and, and he still is a huge part of the writing process of what we do for all of our albums from Sound of Madness uh, on, has been an individual by the name of Dave Bassett, who is, is in the studio has been very instrumental in all of our records from Sound of Madness on in the writing process. But I remember Rob, when he was getting the songs and because uh, it was a lengthy process, it, it, that record took a year to record, um, which back in the day, this is, you got to think this is 2007. Um, and there was a lot of turmoil. We were adjusting me and Barry were trying to figure everything out. I will tell you this, man, one of the most profound things that happened to this band was the moment that the universe sent me and Barry, Zach Myers and Eric Bass because that changed everything. But why I say like it was do or die and it was fight or flight, 
you know, there were a lot of people that did not know what we were doing behind the scenes when we were making that album. But then when the album was presented to the public, I think we shocked a lot of people with what we came with because it could have been the type of story where it could have ended and it did the com- the story was completely different. It actually launched us into this different realm uh, in our career. And it was a different level of songwriting too. The bar had to be raised. And you've put out all these albums, Planet Zero in 2022 and a ton of number one songs. Is there a way to put it in a sentence or two or even three? You and I both know bands that debuted around 2002 or three. And yeah. I, I thought they were freaking awesome. And for yeah. a, and for a variety of reasons, as we sit here today, you know, we could list like 10 reasons, they're done. What is it about you, your brain, your creativity, the group you're with that you've been with since basically 2008? What do you think it is? Well, I want to point out something there and touch on it for a minute. You're, you're right. There are some bands where whether they lost a member that was very um, integral to that band or whether there was some falling out or, or what have you, or they may just be having a lull of some sort. The interesting thing about the way people consume music now, you never know when something's going to hit. And all of a sudden, someone kind of comes back. You know, a Kate Bush, a prime example of, of that, you know, with, you know, Stranger Things. Yes. Not that Metallica needs any help. But right. like that was another thing with Stranger Things. <laughs> yes. You had all of these different kind of resurgencies because of social media and TikTok and you have, um, you know, these platforms and what have you. It's very interesting. I always, man, I try to champion bands, even if we haven't heard from them in a while, an artist of any styles of music, whenever they can have a comeback, whenever they can, because you never know what they're working on and what they're doing. So I love to be surprised. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, But for us and what we've done, my focus was always, you got to remember you're in the music business and the word business is a big part of that. There's a dynamic of the the creativity side of your brain. It's kind of the left and the right side. You got to figure out how to adjust both of them and kind of balance everything. And I can only say this from my experience in the band that I'm in experience. But we've been very, very fortunate in the 20 years that we have been established thus far. And again, I can be respectful of the past, but I'm always looking to the future. I'm thinking of the next 20 years. But a lot of that had to do with communication with Atlantic Records from from day one. Some of your audience may not know this about me or about the band, but I was signed to Atlantic Records over two decades ago with a different band, I was dropped and then re-signed. And then I got to do something that was really something that to this day, I do every single time, which is I was able to develop. Um, And a guy named Steve Robertson uh, with Atlantic Records, he has been um, the A&R for Shinedown for all of the seven records currently. And... He was the one that signed me the first time. And then when I was dropped, he went back in with Craig Kalman and Julie Greenwald at Atlantic. And when Leor Cohen came into the Warner Music Group, that was like a whole different element here because that Leor came in during the Sound of Madness era. What I'm getting at is these people were instrumental in letting me develop as an artist. Mm. And they were instrumental in not giving me, a, they never put me on a clock. 
like in the studio. They they were like, it doesn't matter how long it takes. You you got to flush it out, man. You got to figure out what you're trying to say. I've often told people in any writing sessions that I go into, don't come in here and write a song because you want to be famous. Come in here and write a song because you have something to say. And um, I, I think that there's a lot of, and we could be on this, you know, for a long, long time as we're talking to one another, because there's a lot of depth to this. But the one thing that I think separates Shine Down, at least my experience, is that we've kept that same relationship with the Warner Music Group, um, and especially with Electra Records, who uh, Electra Records is doing our promotion right now for our, our newer songs. But we're Atlantic Records, and we're rock and roll to the bone. And they've all, but rock and roll is a spirit, and rock and roll is. is a way of life. So. Right. I've never looked at it when I'm writing the music and the, the label's always been this way with us too. I've always said, it's not about rock music, metal music, country music, rap music, pop music. It's about all music. You should be able to evolve and, and, and find yourself in where you are at that point in time in your life and what you want to present at that moment in time. But for us, we've been very fortunate that Atlantic Records has stood by us for the last 20 years and they're continuing to stand by us for the next 20 and so on and so forth. God dang, you said so many things in that last two minutes that are so important. I wanna hit on something you said at the end, which is you wanna develop and write songs for how you feel in the moment. You're trying not to impress a certain group or write for what you think people want, but you're writing and creating for how you feel in that exact moment people are smart and they can spot it if you don't mean it right brent yes 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 yes, yes. people people love authenticity I, and and i gotta say this man like in the last like year and a half if not like the last 18 months i have watched the rise of a very very dear friend of mine who has been busting his ass for years and ultimately, you know, it is such a joy to watch what he is doing. Uh, and that's Jelly Roll. You know what I mean? Watching that conviction with a guy like him who, you know, me and him would talk about when we were touring together back in 2022, um, that he by far was one of these individuals where, man, I learned so much from him. And I know he says he learned a lot from me. But when we were on that tour together, we talked a lot about the radio and we talked a lot about like the consumption of music and he had a lot of questions uh for me and i had rebuttals you know for him as well i love how when i get on a podcast everybody wants to text me anyway <laughs> um but the big thing was is like i remember me and him would talk about the fact that you know it, it, it shouldn't be about the genre it shouldn't be about the format everything should be able to you know coexist together and now you see this momentum in not only north america but globally like how country is crossing over into rock and alternative and how alternative is crossing over into country and how it goes vice versa with alternative crossing into pop and pop over into alternative and you know the active rock elements and the mainstream rock on radio now is starting to embrace other artists from these different formats and what have you because the general public they don't break it down and look at it as like a strategy they only know if they love the song right or not one thousand that's all it matters yes brent and, and what i'm saying is this like as we move forward in a lot of this you know the consumption of music with streaming look i love it man i think it's awesome that there's just an unlimited amount of music but I will tell you this, and, and me and Jelly talked about it a lot, a tremendous amount of what we've been able to do as a band is the simple fact that we were built by the radio and everything that we're doing now 
you know, it presents itself in a very, very unique way where streaming can work with radio, radio can work with streaming, but you have these platforms now that can allow you to be limitless. And you see all of this new talent and all these young artists kind of coming out of nowhere. But man, to have that kind of a platform, I just want the world to embrace all music. That's really what it's about. I am in to songs that create a certain feeling for me when I hear them. And Hell I don't yeah. know what genre it is, and I don't really care. But I heard a first, you hear a first note, you hear a lyric, you see someone's face in a video. And if I have that authentic connection with that song, you've yeah. got me. And I don't know if it's rock or hard rock or metal or pop or alternative or country. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's fine. And as you said, they're all, they're all coming together. It's about the feeling that we all have inside when we listen or watch somebody. I use this quote a lot because I could go on and on about it, but the quote still to this day is very, very powerful and very poignant when you're talking about music and especially songs. The quote came from a guy named Nietzsche, and he said, without music, life would be a mistake. And it's interesting that the only thing that I know of that can instantaneously create an emotion in someone is a song. Yeah. Is yeah. yeah. Is a sound. And the thing about music and the thing about these songs, whether they were released five minutes ago or they were it was released 50 years ago, is that that can also evolve for you, those songs at different points in your life. And a song at one point in your life can mean something different 10 years later. And it's just a very, very powerful, we're lucky that we have it. We're lucky that we have this language because, you know, I think there's 260 something flags now, which represents like 260 countries on this, you know, this incredible rock that is spinning in its infancy. And so there's all these different languages, but one language that holds very real and very poignant and is always there for everyone. You know, the universal language really is music. It's, a, it's powerful, man. One thing that I'm afraid of, and when I say afraid, it's a 1.7 out of 10. Because there okay. are so many ways to get music out there and we can find a great song, but sometimes that person that put that song out has never played on stage once. And so unfortunately, when you go and see them play, the first time or 10th time, they may have perfected that song and put it on TikTok or wherever, but boy, yeah. they stink on stage. And it takes a real skill. Hey, eventually they're probably going to get okay, but they haven't put in like the blue collar work playing in front of 10 people at venues across the United States. Does that make sense oh, to you? Oh yeah, 100%. Look, here's the reality about that. And there's no way that you, there's no shortcuts to this. I will often tell people, you know, there's no elevator to success. You're going to have to take the stairs. You know, um, practice, 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 practice. I'm going to say it again. Practice. Like, it doesn't matter if you go to this CD bar or this place where there's only two people. And, dude, we have played in Shinedown. We have played in front of five people before, and we have played in front of 500,000 people before. But the fact of the matter is, is that... You owe it to your craft if you actually want to do this for a living and be a songwriter, be a performer, and really be out there. You've got to go and grind. You just have to. And at the end of the day, some of these artists that are younger and, and what have you, they don't even consider themselves quote-unquote artists. They're like, I know a lot of labels brought artists in because they thought they were artists from like the TikTok generation. But what's happened is the, and I love this about these kids, at least I love the boldness of their honesty. Yes. They'll go into these 
corporate, you know, rooms and what have you. And the labels are like, we're going to put you on tour. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're here to help you. We want to push you out there. And they're like, wait, whoa, 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 hang on. You want me to go on tour? And they're like, well, yeah. And they're like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're like, I want to go back to my room and, and just write songs, man. I didn't come, you know what I mean? And, and a lot of that happens. But again, you got to find the ones that are willing and, and grateful to be able to develop. Ahmed Erdogan, who was the founder of Atlantic Records, he started that, man. Artist development was really created by Ahmed, you know, because when he was, you know, those songwriting factories in New York City back in the day, like Carol King, and, you know, they would go to an office every day and they would sit in a cubicle and they would write songs for jingles or for commercials or whatever it was. But they were, you know, kind of like a factory. He was like, I've got to be able to go into these areas, these cities. And at the time, you know, you're, you're going back into like, you know, the 1950s, you know. So he had to go into the South. Like he had to go into the swamp, you know, and, and find these artists. He had to like go in and he had to kind of do recon, you know, to be able to meet, you know, Otis Redding, to be able to meet Ray Charles, to be, I mean, man, that, if any of your audience doesn't know who Ahmed Erdogan is, I implore you to go look him up and, and, and realize what a profound individual he was uh, on the music industry. But my point about that is, is you have to go into the area where those things are happening. Yes, we have a technologically advanced world, but man, there are so many gifted artists all over the world. But as executives and labels and things of that nature, yeah, you can see them on TikTok. Yeah, you can see them on Instagram. Yeah, you can see them on all these platforms, but you got to go out and check them out and see if they can play live, see if they want to play live, see if they have the desire to like put an album together. And you just have to be communicative more than anything. You got to communicate. I am so inspired. How many minutes are we into this? Nine, 10 minutes? I want to go start my own label. I want to pick up a guitar. I want let's to go, me I want... and you. I, I got, let's go, man. I got the funds. Let's do this. Let's do I want to expand Tune on Toes podcast even more. Let's go. This podcast has caught a little bit of fire, luckily, but let's make it even bigger. Take the show on the road. You got me, man. You got me, got, you got me chills. You got me sweating. My, got sweat on my forehead Yeah, right man, now. that's what it's all about. 1,000%. The band that you were on that first got signed to Atlantic and then dropped. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know how much you've spoken about this, but can you pinpoint why they think they let you go, that stopped that band, but still kept you? I think that it was, um, it was a combination of just inexperience. Here's the thing about those gentlemen that I was in that band with too. I have nothing but an immense amount of respect for them. I think at the time, and this goes back to the A&R, Steve Robertson, and the wild thing is this also, like we got signed because we did a showcase. I had to put a showcase together. I had two days to put a showcase together because I had gotten contacted by Steve and he said, could you play somewhere in like two days? Because I have a producer friend of mine that's going to come with me. I let him hear some of the demos that you guys had and what have you. And I was like, how many days? And he was like, I mean, really, man, you need to put some, even if it's a garage, we don't care. So I put a show together uh, in about two days, all of our friends local, because this was in Knoxville, Tennessee, okay. when this happened. The name of the band was called Dreve, D-R-E-V-E. And, uh, but the producer was Michael Beinhorn, who is, if, if people don't know who Michael Come Beinhorn is, now. I encourage you to look it up. And if you, uh, as a matter of fact, go to Rick Beato's page on YouTube. Uh, he just did a, an amazing interview 
with uh, with uh, Michael Beinhorn. Michael watched that showcase with us that night with Steve. They took us out to dinner, kind of did the thing. About a month went by. We got the contract sent to the house, you know, everyone's house, everything. We signed it. Then Michael came back to Tennessee and actually worked with us for like a week and really kind of put some things, lit a fire under me and, and what have you. And so long and the short of it, there was a nine-month duration of us writing songs, demoing things to the best of our ability, sending them to Steve. And then Steve basically had a bit of a reality check. He, he called a couple of friends of his, songwriter managers, if you will. And what he did was he said, I want to take Brent out of Knoxville for a second and I want to put him on a plane and I want to send him to some of these people because I want to see what he does and if he can kind of, you know, rise to the occasion um, and work with like actual songwriters and see like what happens. And the long and the short of it was, it was like an entirely different world opened up to me when I was able to be put in front of these individuals. I wrote with Desmond Child, I wrote with John Shanks, uh, Tommy Sims, uh, in that initial demo that I did out in Los Angeles and, and Nashville, there was a demo called of a song called Fake that's actually on our second album, Us and Them. And when I did the demo, I wrote the song with John Shanks, and I didn't realize this at the time, but John had a drummer come in and do the demo. The drummer was Vinnie Caliuto. Oh, my God. And, yeah, it was like just wild things that I think about. You know what I mean? And then come in to, to, to play. But the reality was when those demos were done from that session, Steve kind of had what he needed. He was like, okay, I put him in front of people that are like, this is what they do. This is their craft. And he rose to the occasion. Uh, unfortunately, though, what that meant was dropping the band. And then I, when that happened also, I said I was going to do one of two things. I was either going to go to Los Angeles or I was going to go to New York, but I wasn't going to stay in Knoxville. Who, and we were dropped right around the holidays. So right around, I think it was like early December. And uh, the beginning of the year, he called me, Steve, and he goes, how you doing? I'm like, I'm okay. There was no animosity that I had towards him. I knew he was doing what he needed to do. He goes, I'm glad you're okay. Um, I want to sign you again which was kind of a, I was like, what? He goes, yeah, I think you're a songwriter and I believe you're a performer. I think that you, you're you just not with the right people. Please just understand, if you want to go on this journey with me, because I want to go on it with you, um, I'm going to sign you to a development deal. And I said, what does that mean? And he goes, it means that we have six months to wow the label. And because I never wanted to be a solo artist. I always wanted to be in a band. That was always the that was always the goal and is the goal. And that was a three-year journey, me and him, trains, planes, and automobiles. He put me in front of anyone and everyone that he could. It led me to Jacksonville, Florida. It led me to create what would become Shinedown. The estate is Jacksonville, Florida, because that's kind of like where everything was created. Uh, yeah, it's a very Shakespearean story in a way. Man, congratulations on everything you've accomplished. I'll say it now. I'm going to say it probably at the end as well. I want to ask you a question. You put up a video. I believe it's with your grandma. You did it on Christmas. Yeah. Did you grow up with her? Where did you grow up exactly? Yeah. And what was your household like? So I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is known for the Tennessee Vols. It's a college town. Yep. Um, but I, I'm lucky. I'm very, very lucky. I think me and you are, are, I think me and you would probably look at this 
from the same dynamic. I was a teenager during the 90s. And so like from like 1991 to like 1998, that was like my high school. And so like probably one of the most incredible times in music to be that age to, you know, I, and by the way, I never wanted to be anything from the moment I entered the earth and I could like think clearly or have consciousness from the moment I could have a thought, I always knew I wanted to be a performer. I wanted to be a songwriter. I wanted to be a lyricist. I wanted to sing. And I feel very grateful and, and lucky that the universe kind of propelled me in that direction. For me, you know, I grew up in that town and it really was also too, like Knoxville at that point in time, yes, it was a college town, but it had an incredible music scene. Like we had this area called um, Market Square. It's still there to this day. And I'll never forget it. Like I cut my teeth on a place called Mercury Theater. I got a fake ID when I was 14 that said I was 18. So like I would go and play in, in bands like all over downtown. At 14 and years so, old, at 14 years old, you were doing that. Yeah. I was, by the way, my parents, God bless them, man. I was not easy to raise. <laughs> I, I was not easy to raise. Um, but my granny instilled in me, um, she instilled my work ethic, 100%. Like, my granny was, is one of the hardest women I know, one of the toughest individuals I know, one of the sweetest, but also just, I mean, as authentic and real as they come. She's 92 years old. Um, she's still a spitfire. Um, and she still constantly, day in and day out, inspires me on every single level. But I, I grew up in a small family, uh, but my mother and my dad and my granny, really, they were the ones that raised me. But my mother was always making sure that I knew my manners, to be cordial, to be a gentleman. My dad taught me, you know, the honesty and the, the value of, of being a man and, and taking care of your family and your friends and being honest and being there and, and never just always being able to look at the world, zoom out, he would tell me. Mm. Like, don't don't look at the world like this. Like, zoom out. There's a lot out here. Um, but the drive and the tenacity came from my granny. Like, that, that work ethic. The other thing, too, is she was always the one in my life because, you know, I grew up and, you know, a lot of kids around me kind of essentially – you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? I'm going to be a doctor. I'll be a lawyer. I'm going to be a teacher or, or what happened. My dad was a teacher in the Tennessee school district for 40 years, you know, kind of, and not taking anything away from that. But what my granny would always say, because pretty early on, I, people knew what I wanted to do. And I know a lot of times it was kind of like, they just didn't want to see me disappointed, but this huge dream that I had that seemed kind of otherworldly people around me just didn't think like that. And I was, you know, I couldn't have got out of high school fast enough. You know what I mean? I like, I was just trying to, like, I wanted to start my life. Like, I wanted to grow up. I was 10 years old growing on, you know, like, let's go. And, um, but the thing is, is that my granny would always tell me, if you wake up every single day and you want to be a doctor, then be a doctor. If you wake up every single day and you want to be a plumber, be a plumber. If you wake up every day and you want to be a writer, be a writer. If you wake up every day and you want to be a dancer, be a dancer. But if you wake up every single day and you want to be a singer and a performer and an artist, then you need to make sure that you never arrive. Don't ever arrive. And if some of the people may not know what that means, what is success? The, the, the key to success is to never arrive. 
Like there's always another mountain to climb. There's always somewhere else to go. You yes. can always level up. And she instilled that in me. She just said, just don't ever arrive. Keep going. Unbelievable, Granny. That is so, that is perfect advice. I love listening to you say Granny. That is the best. That is like the best. <laughs> this is so awesome. This, I love it. My yeah. Granny is always like, do you think anybody actually sees this? And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I I love to tell my granny, you're famous. Granny is famous. Is there a yeah. slippery slope as we mature into a little bit older human beings that if we continue to chase after something that's a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, that we don't appreciate what we've already accomplished? Well, there's you have to consolidate your own uh, mental health is what I like to tell people. And what that means is you're not every year that you've been given the gift of life and we're here, you're not promised anything. You know what I mean? So like while we're here, it's really important to be in the moment and live our lives and to be positive and to be good to each other and not be so cynical. Um, but yeah, man, I think with age, you learn how to stop for a minute and go, maybe not quintessentially stop and smell the roses, but Take a minute to say to yourself and to the people around you, good job. That was awesome. You know, celebrate it. Just don't celebrate it for too long. It's hard for me to do. My bubble is a million times smaller than yours, but it's hard for me to be like, I can't believe I just did that. Like doing this right now. I don't I'm know if your bubble is that small. I don't know if you know this, uh, Ted. You're kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> just just so you know. Now you're just quoting Ron Burgundy. I, I, I don't know if that's an authentic statement right there. It's very authentic. Hey, listen, I had that statement before Ron Burgundy ever put it out there. Okay. So all it's right. all good. But I, I got to say, you know, love you, San Diego. Right. <laughs> or you can reverse <laughs> love the love for Coast. something else. Brent, everybody knows that is listening to this maybe for the first time or has been following you since the mid-2000s. I mean, you got the eye of the tiger, the fire in your belly. You're so well-spoken. You could do speeches all over. But at some point along your journey, maybe you were a hint into the deep end and not fully there. What was oh, it? Oh, yeah. What, why did you decide to get yourself in the place you are now, which is physically fit, mentally fit, just professionally, just you're on it in every possible way? Because you had the success all along. But there is another part of me. Um, and I do have a past and I do have a history. I'll be honest with you. If I go back to in 2010, um, cause so for everybody, I'm a little unique when it comes to travel and everyone always asks me where I live. And I always say I live on the road because I don't own a home. I'm on the road 280 days out of the year. Um, and I'm constantly traveling. I basically live in hotels, but the thing is, is in 2010, I bought a house because I should tell you everybody this too. Half of my heart belongs to California. Like I was born in the South and what have you. And, and I, I, I love all of North America and, you know, I do travel the world and what have you, but the West coast, half my heart belongs to it. Cause I do a lot of work out there. I have a lot of friends out there and I got a lot of love for it. Um, so in 2010, I bought a house in thousand Oaks, California. And but from 2010 to 2016, I might have been inside of the house maybe six months. Wow. I was always out. I was always working. I was always doing things and what have you. But again, going back to the past, um, 
you know, and it's a lot of it's out there. I mean, people can look it up and what have you. I had major issues uh, with substance abuse and alcoholism. Um, that's something that I'm never, ever going to be able to outrun. Um, the, the thing is, is that I've been sober for a long time. I don't necessarily talk about my sobriety very much unless asked about it. But I had a very, very profound person in my life when I was living out in California. And we were dating at the time. And this young lady that, that I was with, who's still, by the way, her name's Teresa. She's still, still one of my dearest friends to this day. But she said something to me in 2010 when I was at my worst. Like, I was, you know, it was bad. It was not good. And I'd been out on a bender, and she kind of found me on the floor in the morning and picked me up, put me on the couch, kind of cleaned me up, and basically uh, said to me, listen, you got a lot of people around you that love you and care about you and will do absolutely anything for you. But this other guy that comes out when you choose to take these substances and you choose to go on these benders, that person isn't trying to hang out with you or have a good time with you. That other person in you is trying to kill you. And nobody likes him. Nobody wants to hang out with him. And I know how you feel. You feel like if you're not kind of messed up, you can't be an artist or you can't be intense or, you know, all these elements. Like, you don't think you're going to be edgy enough. But I'm going to tell you this right now. And these words that she said to me completely changed the way that I think to this day about my persona and about my psychological daily life. I always think about this. And what she said to me was this. She goes, you are way more dangerous when you're sober. When you're clear-headed and you're clean and you're focused, that's when you are the most dangerous. And what she meant by that was, um, and she wasn't wrong. Like, I kind of had that fear. Like, I couldn't be edgy if I didn't do these things. And that's just the cliche of what you're supposed to do. It used to be this idea of, like, live fast, live hard, die young, leave a right. good-looking corpse. Right. Exactly. You know what I mean? And she just completely snapped me out of that with that one statement because I totally understood what she was saying. She was like, it's time for you to get your head out of your ass and get back in the game. Let's go. And I just, from that moment on, I decided to make uh, fitness a part of my life. I started to learn how to eat. Uh, some of my best friends in the fitness community, my boy, Mike Cassis, and my boy, Rich Limos, um, who I met out in California, you know, they trained me, they got me in shape, they taught me how to exercise, they got me, you know, where I needed to be. Uh, they're still, still my dearest friends to this day. But if anything that I could say to people out there that, if they are kind of struggling with that right now, because listen, you know, I've been through it. You know, mental health is a priority for me because I want people to understand that there's nothing wrong with them. You go through stages in your life. Substance abuse, um, especially in the last like five to 10 years, you know, bringing, especially in America, bringing to the forefront the epidemic that is the opioid crisis and the suicide rate. You know, we're a band that's also been working with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention for over 10 years. And we want people to be able to talk about these things. You have to talk about mental health. You can't stuff that down. Because right. um, your mental health is just as important as your physical health. Totally. But for me, what also helped me kind of get myself clear headed was the exercise. It was able to kind of focus me. It was able to, um, I just looked better. I felt better. You know what I mean? I could handle a lot 
of things better. Um, but it's it's one it literally is it's one day at a time. I will often tell people I didn't do drugs today. I didn't drink today. I have no idea what I'll do tomorrow. But that part of my life, I have to live that one day at a time. But to anybody out there that might be watching this or listening to it and you're going through it with substances, I'm telling you right now. In a, in a very, very positive way. You are way more dangerous when you're sober. Thank you for sharing all that. And you are dangerous when you're sober. And the proof is in the pudding. Did it take you, when I say a minute, I don't really mean a minute, but did it take you a while once you got sober to realize that you are dangerous and that you can do this at a super high level, even higher than before? I gotta be honest with you. What it did was it actually allowed me to find my confidence in myself mm. again. Cause I was, you know, I was self-medicating all these emotions and all these chemicals in my brain too. Like that's the other thing too. Like these substances, look, if you can handle having a drink and it's not a big deal, go for it. Keep doing, you know, your thing. I'm not necessarily talking to people like that. Like there's a difference between somebody that has an addictive of personality. Yes, yes, like, yes. You know yes, what I mean? Yes. Um, I had to trade my bad addiction for a good addiction, which was my fitness and things of that nature. You know, I because I, I have an addictive personality. So for 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 me, when you know, I, I I look at it all, I think more than anything with that self medicating, it rewires your brain. Like all these chemicals are just firing different. You're not giving your you're not giving yourself a minute to kind of adjust and just breathe in oxygen without, you know, just piling on a bunch of chemicals. And I know that's tough for some people because they're like, oh my God, I don't know what I would do without my Adderall. Right. <laughs> you know? right. And it's like, well, there's a way if you really want to talk to certain people that Adderall, not to just pick on one particular substance, but you might need to wean off of that. And all of a sudden you might find out that you come back to life. You know, it, it, nothing's going to be this is always a really, really sensitive subject matter um, because everybody is different. And I understand how some people might be like, well, you don't know me and my struggles and what have you. And I'm like, I totally don't. You're absolutely right. But I know what I've been through. And I know that I was self-medicating myself because I didn't think I was good. I didn't think I was great. I didn't think I could be edgy. I didn't think I could be profound. I didn't think I could be articulate. Um, and that was the furthest thing from the truth. Right. You know, um, it, it might be a scary jumping off place um, because you're so used to kind of having this um, this crutch or, you know, this pedestal to kind of brace yourself with. But at the end of the day, at a certain point in time in your life, you've got to remove it and stand on your own two feet. Well said. You know, I'll share something with you and then we'll move on because this is about you. But in my life. My work life has always affected my personal life, not in a bad way. Maybe it's a great way. Maybe it's a medium way. But for the first time ever within the last nine months, my personal life affected my work life. And so I, yep. had, to, I had to make adjustments on my side. And now sitting here with you right now, I feel like I'm back in the ball game mentally in all ways. And a lot of times, man, dude, sometimes you just have to physically take a deep breath right yeah exactly Like when the email chain's going <laughs> and the phone's going off and you know i often tell people i'm like turn off notifications on instagram for the love of god <laughs> you know what i mean right. yeah. take the yeah. notification off tiktok for like a day because it's like well i can't concentrate i'm like that's because your phone's going ding 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 right. ding right like just you know reset 
take a deep breath and reset. You know, because the world's gonna move. The world's gonna move with or without you. You know what I mean? And at the end of the day, nobody really cares that much. That's the thing. Also, like things that you do that are doing in your life. Like at the end of the, it's just like the world's gonna keep going whether you looked at all those notifications or not or got distracted. Right. And it's also, it's a balance of, it's really about, and I know a minute ago you said like, this is about me, but this is about us. Like we're, I love the fact that we're having this, you know, very open dialogue with each other, but it's also, you have to be able to take a step back and allow yourself to see yourself and be open-minded to different perceptions of the way that you're presenting yourself to the world and the way that you're allowing the world to affect you. You have to just, sometimes you got to just stop this hamster wheel that we're all on. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like yeah. just, you have all the power in the world to just be like, Hey, I'm taking a break. I, like with, with social media, I tell my 16 year old son all the time. I say, listen, remember that you're in control of the device. The device doesn't need to be in control of you. Another great line right there. All right. There's a, f- a few more things that I want to get to. Uh, based on something you said 15 minutes ago or so, when you were 14 and you were on stage and you were singing, were you doing original songs or cover songs? Originals. Or- never was a, never, never did any covers, really. At was, 14? I, that was the other thing, too. Like, I never learned anybody else's stuff. Not that I didn't care. I'm, I remember being with Michael Beinhorn, and, dude, I... I would not shut up about Super Unknown and Soundgarden because he produced that record. I was just going on and on and on about it, you know, because that record and Chris Cornell completely changed my life. But no, I was always, I was inspired by a lot of different singers and bands, you know, male-fronted bands and female-fronted bands and, and, and what have you. But I was inspired to write what I wanted to write, like what I was coming up with. So never really learned anybody else's stuff. I was always really more into... You know, I have something. Let's work on it. Jeez, that takes a lot of guts at any age to do that. Who's on your Mount Rushmore from those 90s bands? You got, oh, Chris, you got Chris Cornell on there. You got three more. Chris is definitely, Chris is at the top. Okay. Um, I'm trying, like my like the ones that I kind of just, the, three, four, or five. Let's Who's go. The, so what is there on Mount Rushmore? Is there four? I think there's 17 on Mount Rushmore. No, I think there's four. There's 1,700 <laughs> on, on, they're buried in the rock. I think there's four. Um, so you've got Chris Cornell, give me three more. I mean, man, I have to. Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain, there he's, we go. He's definitely in there. Do we put Lane Staley on there for you from Alice in Chains? Please. Please. No, I'm and we got to we got to we got to think about um man I had dude I had the biggest you know um Tim you know Sonic Youth oh. you know I I was I was a huge huge fan of her and that band yes um and uh but I'm just I'm I'm trying to think Chris Cornell Lang Staley you got Cobain on there you said Kurt Kurt Cobain I'm trying to think you know is Eddie Vedder Shannon Hoon um do we go? Uh... I love this because I'm good. I'm just going through the. I'm like, I'm just thinking of all those bands. I'm trying to think of like who the female. Like we gotta get a female on there. Liz Fair. I'm trying to think. Liz Fair. I haven't heard that name in forever. Amazing. Um, PJ Harvey was oh. in that area. It was in that realm too, wasn't she? Yes. 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 Yeah. Down by the river. Yeah. Yeah. Courtney Love. Everybody has an issue with Courtney though. I don't have but, an issue you know. with Courtney. Courtney, I mean, man, I go back and listen to that. I, I, I look at that stuff, man, and I'm just like, man, those first 
those first two whole records are nuts. The way she played yeah. with her leg up on that speaker on the stage. Dude. I, mean, I don't know if she was wearing a nighty as well, but just you didn't have to hear the music. It was like a rock star. It was so good. And I yeah. don't care who wrote I mean, the songs for, or what yeah. the story is. Yeah. Let's do that. We'll put Courtney Love up there. Bam. It's a good one. Okay. Yeah. Are there bands that you opened for early on that even to this day, you liked how they treated the opening band and they were respectful. And as a result, maybe that's kind of how you go about your business now. Oh my God, a bunch. We were lucky, man. Super, super lucky. Van Halen treated us amazing when we were out there. Three Doors Down really like they, Brad Arnold, man, he, he was, he took the time with our first album. When we went out there with them, it was, we were the first of four and it was, it was us first, and then it was Seether, and then Our Lady Peace, and then Three Doors Down. This is back when Three Doors Down um, released Away From The Sun, so they were just massive. And uh, But we were only supposed to be on that tour for two weeks. We ended up being on that tour for nine months. And they just showed us everything, because it was on our first album. Same thing with, uh, with Van Halen. Eddie was just the sweetest, oh my God, dude. It, I think it was like me and him kind of befriended each other on that tour. We were out there with him for like two months. And I think it was just because I didn't want anything from him. Like I didn't necessarily grow up like listening to Van Halen. Like I knew who Van Halen was and what have you, but like being on the road with them for two months, every single night, and then kind of forming a bond with him and a connection with him wow. was really extraordinary. And he couldn't have treated us sweeter. That whole band was amazing. And that was the era with uh, Sammy. And probably recently, too, if I go back to like 2017, we did 40. We we were asked to do 44 shows and do a tour of um, Central Europe and the U United Kingdom with Iron Maiden. So we did 44 shows with Iron Maiden on uh, the beginning of 2017. And they were incredible. They were awesome. They, they Their crew treated our crew with like. They were just the best. You always want to pay attention out there, man, and like look and see how people treat you. And as far as we're concerned, we've learned a lot from the best. Obviously, there was a lot of bands that really Kiss treated us amazing. We did a Canadian tour with Kiss, and they were awesome. Um, I mean, I could not. They couldn't have been. They couldn't have been sweeter. And uh, but yeah, we always try to pay it forward when we're when we're the headline. Oh, so cool to hear. Okay, I don't want to say quickly, but time is running out. Planet Zero, which came out in 2022. Uh, yeah, yeah. Daylight, A Symptom of Being Human, the title track, A Symptom of Being Human, as you mentioned 50 minutes ago. It's yeah. been out there, and it's been hovering, and it's this song that I feel from my vantage point, it's a grower. People are really hearing it and understanding it and gravitating towards it. Where in the world did this tune come from? And are you feeling that as well? Yeah, I mean, the thing about Symptom is it is a prime example. First of all, we've been working the song for, I think we're approaching the 11th month. And I did it in a very, un, we did it in an unorthodox way. And, and what we did was, so the first single from Planet Zero was the title track, Planet Zero. Then it was Daylight. Then what I did was I went into the label and I said, this is what I want to do. First time ever being able to do this. I want to work two songs simultaneously at different formats. So we took Dead Don't Die and worked it collectively at alternative and active, but we took Symptom and began to work it 
first at the hot AC and adult contemporary formats and then crossing it into alternative. And now as we move even further into it, um, I believe it's getting ready to get a shot on top 40, which is wild to begin with as well. But the thing is, is that we wanted the audience to grow and we wanted to see if we could tap into, you know, people that maybe don't know who the band is. But in a lot of ways, it goes back to the whole point about really, I've never wanted my band to be put in a box. Like, I, I've never looked at, again, you're not writing songs to be famous. You're writing songs because you have something to say. And I think that music and and the way that people consume music is they just know if they like it. They just know if they love it. But the song was born out of a time in human history when we were all dealing with uh, a pandemic. Wrote the song in 2020, June of 2020. And in all reality, the thing about Symptom was when I arrived in Charleston, because me and Eric Bass, we wrote the song together. The other thing, too, is, you know, having a bass player in the band, uh, Eric, the albums, who is probably right? a, bass, a bass player last in a lot of ways, because he is engineered, produced, and mixed the last two full-length Shinedown right. records, right. which is extraordinary yeah. to begin with. It and is. we're getting ready to start a uh, preliminary kind of uh, walking in there, seeing what Shinedown number eight looks like. But we got a lot Ooh. of things going on. But anyway... I know we got a little bit of time. Symptom was born out of the fact of myself and Eric and Zach and Barry. We we knew that the world was frustrated and scared and angry and upset and nervous. And there was all of this unrest happening and everything was being polarized and and people were being, you know, put up against each other and, and what have you. And it was such a necessary song. Symptom was a gift. Not all the time do you get a gift on an album. And what a gift is, is it's a song that it presents itself to you because it is so necessary that it needs to be born. And the song was written quite quickly, actually. I remember most of the lyrics came in a flood. Um, but the thing about the song was also, we wanted people to understand that as human beings, we all are connected to each other and we all share the human condition and that connection, but we're also a work in progress. And that ultimately, even as the world changes and we have to deal with these things that happen in our society and, and what's gonna be presented to all of us, we want people to know that I believe and the band believes that we're all human beings and I believe that we're all inherently good. I believe that we inherently do want to lift each other up and that we do want to take care of each other. Um, not to say that, you know, there, there's not going to be tough love, but it's okay to feel outside the box. It's okay if you evolve. It's okay if you feel different at this time or this stage in your life than maybe you will 10 years from now or 10 years ago. That's the beauty of being alive. That's the beauty of being a human being. It's, there's an evolution to it all. And the response that I've gotten from people all across the world is just that it is a song that has really allowed people to, like we talked about, sometimes you got to stop, take a deep breath, count to 10 and reset. And that's all we ever wanted was for the song to be a beacon of hope. And it is. And also the video is beautifully shot. Man, you are a super wizard genius that's self-aware, and I'm inspired, and I wish I could jump through this computer screen right now and just, like, 
shake your hand and hug you and say thank let's you. Let's go. Let's go. I'll give you a big hug right oh, now. We right, got it right there. Right there. there it is. What do you have? 18 number one, seven full-length albums. Brent Smith, you continue to do it, man. You did mention maybe album number eight. Have you recorded one note of one song for another album? We have, actually. Now we have to go in and... Um, we're really good at like juggling, you know what I mean? We got a lot of stuff getting ready to happen in 2024. There's a, there's a lot of construction going on okay. with the future of uh, International, the new record, a bunch of other cool surprises that we have that we're getting ready to kind of like release here in a minute. But uh, it never stops, man, in the world of Shinedown. And again, I, the biggest thing that I can say about that is, again, going back to the support uh, from you and from radio and just all the music platforms. We appreciate you all so very much. But, you know, at the end of the day, man, it, it it's the fans. Whether they've been there from the beginning or they're just kind of finding out who we are, we welcome all of them. And uh, we couldn't do this without them. And it really comes down to the audience. So thank you for letting us be ourselves. And the audience has grown with Shinedown, which is so cool to see. He has stuck to his guns. Authenticity wins out in the long run. Brent Smith, Shinedown, thank you for being on my radio show, Out of Order, which is on like 40 cities. And thank you for being on my podcast, Tuna on Toast. You're the best. I, I'm really grateful and I appreciate you, man. Everybody, ladies and gentlemen, the world, let's all, let's go for Ted Stryker, the amazing, <laughs> the incredible, my man. Thank you so, so much. You have no idea. Like, this is like, for me, I'm such a fan of yours. The fact that I got to finally do this with you, I am absolutely, I've, I've, I've fangirled out a little bit. I tried to keep oh my, my composure, God. but you are the man. Thank you Thank so much you. for having me. Thank you, Brent. I really appreciate that. Cheers to 2024, and I'll see you in a week and a half and down beyond. in Anaheim. Okay, and beyond. Later. That's another episode of Strikers Tuna on Toast. Promise, it'll get better. Most likely. For sure. <laughs> Maybe.